All right, well, I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor who doesn't know how to get his mic prepped for the, uh, for the service. So um, before we dive into God's word, I do want to remind you that, uh, and just let you know we're gearing up for the sabbatical. I'm going to be going on a sabbatical. We've announced this before for three months, October, November, and December. And after this service today, we're meeting upstairs, the elders and the staff, to make decisions about who's going to cover my responsibilities while I'm gone. And so we'll communicate that to you all uh, in different ways over the next couple of weeks. But uh, that's still coming, so um, to just to be aware of that. We're in a series right now called The Story of Us. And we're seeing that the Bible is full of people whose stories are our stories. Uh, They're from the Old Testament. These are the stories we're looking at. And they're cool because these stories actually teach us things about Jesus before he was born. And when we connect these stories to Jesus and what he's done, they teach us how God relates to us today. And today's story is about difficulty. Okay, today's story is about someone who is terrified about what is about to happen to him. He's facing an enormous challenge. And so if you're in a situation like that, then this story is for you. Um, If you're not going through this right now, then let this story prepare you for the future, um, for what is coming. Future you needs to know this story. Okay, future you will need to remember this story when life falls apart. Uh, And you also have people in your life today Uh, Christians and non-Christians. So folks in your life group, uh, family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, you have people in your life who need this story. And so as it impacts you, you're going to have something to share and to offer to them. And today we're going to start in, when, when you open up the Bible, unless you start in the very, very beginning, you're in the middle of a story. And so we're starting our story in the middle. Genesis 32 verse 31. Uh, It's in your bulletin. There's a place to take notes. Also, it'll be on the screens. It says this, the sun rose upon Jacob as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. So why mention he's limping? I mean, who cares? Well, the next verse tells us something about why this is important. The next verse is the start of the next chapter. In chapter 33, verse 1, it says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. Well, Esau is Jacob's brother, so this is good, right? I mean, brother's coming? Good stuff, cool? No, not good. Not good because Esau actually wants Jacob dead. So the last time these two saw each other, Esau vowed, he made a vow to kill his brother Jacob. Uh, And before Esau could kill Jacob, Jacob ran. He ran away. Uh, And it's been 20 years. So 20 years after leaving, it's like you get into a fight, the person you're fighting with, you're going to kill them. Well, um, (laughs) you can kind of try to relate, I guess. They run, it'd be like them running from here to Canada. Okay, so they run to Canada and they're gone for 20 years. And now they come back. Esau finds out that Jacob is coming and he shows up. These 400 men are an army. So Jacob is staring down the barrel of a gun and he knows he's about to die. 
And I think this is us when life falls apart, right? When the flood comes, when disappointment sets in. Ask yourself, like, when things are out of control in your life, how do you respond? Normally there's two categories of response. Um, First, we typically respond by sinning in panic, frustration, or anger, right? We get upset, and so we might gossip about someone else to make ourselves look good or to save face or to try to manipulate the situation. We might get over-controlling with people that are near you. You might just get angry and start snapping at people. Um, The second thing that we typically do is uh, you try to do everything you possibly can to fix things, right? You plan, you act, you talk, you meet, you figure out, you, you sort of strategize like how you can bring about your outcome. And you might even lie, deceive, or manipulate to get uh, your outcome to fix things. Jacob did both, okay? Jacob was a fixer uh, and he was willing to sin in order to fix things. Uh, Jacob is a layered human being like all of us are. Jacob loved God. Jacob wanted God, uh, but he consistently helped God. He helped God out uh, by deceiving and manipulation. But now here, he's in trouble. Jacob has to face his murderous brother who has vowed to kill him. And now he can't even run because he's limping. And so Jacob's limping is literal. For us, though, limping often is metaphorical. Limping for us often looks like having to live with a broken friendship or a broken marriage. It's someone that you thought was on your side who betrays you or just doesn't show up for you anymore. Financially, limping might mean losing your job or not having enough money uh, and the rent is due. Uh, Physically, limping also is real, right? It could be sickness or worse just the time decay of your body. Life is hard enough to face without limping. And the question that we have is often the same question that Jacob has is how can I face life when I can't even walk? And so we're going to ask some questions about this story uh, and seek to try to have, uh, try to meet God in the middle of this. The first question I want to ask is why is Jacob limping? Why is Jacob limping? The answer is probably not something you're going to like. The answer is that God made him limp. The night before this happened, so the sun rose and the dawn comes. The night before, Jacob wrestled with a man who turned out to be God. And wrestling with God, this, if you're lucky, this is all that happens when you try to wrestle with God. Wrestling with God will at least make you limp. And again, this is, this is a big deal because life itself, you know, by itself, life makes us limp. And when life makes us limp, don't we look out, like we seek God. We, we try to find God. We get God to give us comfort and encouragement and wisdom in the midst of our lives falling apart when we're limping, right? But what happens when it's God himself who's the reason we are limping? Well, if you follow the Bible and you pray the way that people pray in the Bible, then what do you do is you might pray things like this. You might say, God, what are you doing? 
The Psalms are full of prayers like that, where you say, God, why aren't you working? God, where are you? Or God, who even are you? The difficulties of life push us. And when God is the one making us limp, I mean, my goodness, like, what do we do then? And so the, the second question I want to ask is, why would God do this? Why would God do this? Why would God make Jacob limp? This is, the, this is a version of the age-old question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God, if he's all-powerful and all-loving, then why would he let this happen, right? This story is one of the ways that the Bible speaks to this question. Um, and the Bible has an incredibly nuanced answer to that question of why do bad things happen to good people? We're just going to look at this one story's answer to this. Why would God make Jacob limp? It's so that Jacob would have nothing but to trust in God. God made Jacob limp so that when we have nothing, God would be everything. Jacob is backed into a corner where only God can rescue him. And the reality of our lives, and this is one of the things that actually can cause us to lose our faith if we don't understand that this is who God is and how God works, um, can't remember the beginning of my sentence. I don't know if I put a comma there or if that was a period. I feel like I'm supposed to say the rest of the sentence, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> if you don't know that this is how God works, you will lose your faith, right? If you think that God's design is to make you happy and that's what God is doing, and so if you're not happy, then God must not be working or must not exist, you're going to run into all kinds of problems because that's actually not the God of the Bible, this is sometimes how God works. Sometimes God puts us into these places where we have nothing so that he can be everything. Why? Why does he do this? It's so that we won't trust ourselves, but only trust in him. It's so that we would know that when we have nothing, God is everything. This gives us strength. This makes us strong. And Jacob needed this personally. This is actually, I mean, stick with me here. This is the action of a God who loves his son more than anything else. Because remember, Jacob is, if you read the story of Jacob, his name means deceiver, conniver, supplanter. He's the guy who sort of kind of gets his way. And sometimes when he gets his way, you kind of stop and you're watching, you're like, I'm not sure if what you just did was right. Um, and I feel really slimy about what you just did. Like, that's, that's Jacob. And so God is bringing Jacob into a situation where he can do nothing but trust in God to rescue him. 
And so God is bringing Jacob into this place because here's what happens. In this respect, I relate to Jacob. I can understand Jacob. There's a, you know, there's ways that, I mean, again, like the temptation to lie or to cut corners or to tell people just enough truth so that they would think the way I want them to think and do what I want them to do. Like all of this I know is inside of me and this is common to, it's not just me, but to to a lot of people. And here's what happens is that what you'll find is that when you act this way, where you're not trusting in God fully, but you're trusting in your own wisdom and your own ability to sort of bring about the outcome that you want, what can happen is at the other end of the situation, when things work out, you don't actually know if God did it or if you did. Does that make sense? If you participate with God, if you help God out, then on the other side of the situation, you're like, well, I trust God. Yay. I got it. You know, it, it all happened. And there's a sense of like, well, wait, did God really show up for me? Or was that just me manipulating the situation? And so God is bringing Jacob into this place to put him in a place where he literally can do nothing against his brother so that Jacob would have to let it go. When it comes to us limping, we, we vehemently pray for God to take away the limp. We pray for God to heal the limp. But God often is the one who put it there. God told Jacob, you have wrestled with me and you have prevailed. And I could imagine Jacob saying, prevailed? You beat me. You dislocated my hip and made me limp. All I could do is cling to you. All I could do was hold on to you and never let you go until you blessed me. And God says, that is what it means to prevail. That's what it looks like to be victorious. Jacob might say, well, I have nothing now. Esau is coming and I can't escape. God says, well, you have me. Even limping, you can still cling to me. Maybe Jacob would say, well, will holding on to you be enough? God says, oh yeah, just keep limping. Keep going. So the third question that we want to ask is, will God be there for Jacob? Will God be there for Jacob? Let's read Genesis 33, verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Jacob expected to be murdered. But what he found was a brother who who looks a lot like the prodigal father, actually, running down the road embracing his son. And so God's blessing comes true. Jacob faces Esau with nothing but faith in God. And God comes through. So either God turned Esau's heart or God knew that Esau's heart had already been turned. And God gives Jacob grace through Esau. 
this amazing reunion, this amazing reconciliation. And God says, Jacob, you see, I've had you in my hand the whole time. So that when we have nothing, God is everything. Now, this is a great story, isn't it? I mean, woohoo, Jacob, yes, good things, hooray, God came through for you. But will God come through for us? Right? It's a great story, but will it come true for us? Will God be there for us? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes, because this story isn't the end. Um, This story leads to more stories that lead to more stories that ultimately climax in Jesus, in his story. So will God be there for us? Oh, yes, because of Jesus. And so maybe today you will experience God's incredible victory. Maybe this week, God's incredible victory will come true in your life. Maybe it'll be this year, before the year's over, you'll see God's victory and you'll stand victorious with him as he comes through for you in whatever you're facing. Or maybe it will be when you see him face to face. whether it's in this life or in the next, you will see God and God will say, you see, I've had you in the palm of my hand this entire time. And how do we know? It's because Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. If you have faith in Jesus, then God is with you. Jesus, through Jesus, God will take care of you and he will provide. And we know this because of Jesus. Go back one slide. Jesus trusted God in death so that you can trust God in life. So Jesus didn't just have his hip dislocated, but Jesus trusted God onto the cross mocked, scorned, beaten, whipped, and nailed to a tree. He trusted God into death so that you would know that if you have to enter into death in any form, whether it's literal death or it's the death of a relationship or the death of a job or a career or the death of hopes or dreams, that God will be with you that Jesus trusted God in death so that you can trust God in life. We know this because, next slide, if God saved Jesus through the crucifixion, he will save you through your limping. No matter where you are, no matter how difficult it is, Jesus sees what you're living through and he is with you. He knows what you're going through. Jesus sees 
the suffering. He sees the discouragement. He sees the frustration. He sees the disappointment. He sees the broken relationships. He sees the way that you have had to decide to settle in your life for less. And you've had to learn to be content with things that you never thought you'd have to be content with. He sees it and he understands it. Jesus came to be the king of Israel and to rule over all the nations of the earth. And he came to his own people and they rejected him. And they didn't just reject him, but they handed him over to be crucified. And on the cross and up until the cross, Jesus was consistently saying to God, God, I trust you in this. God, I trust you with wherever this is going. And so he understands what it's like. He sees you in your suffering and he's with you. You're not alone. And then the other gospel promise is that God will turn your limping into strength. God will turn your limping into strength. And this then, this is the faith that moves mountains. This is a faith that overcomes. This is a reality that when you believe in Jesus and you understand that he is with you in the ways that you're limping, that he's enough. And so we're going to flesh this out um, with application, right? Well, what can we do about this this week? Just three things quickly. First, what do you do with this story? You cling to Jesus because limping can be communion. Cling to Jesus because limping can be communion. So Jacob went from wrestling to clinging to God. He just wouldn't let go of God. And so keep seeking after God. Don't let go. Don't stop. We talked about this last week, right? Why does God make us wait? It's because in the waiting, we get more of God. In the waiting, we learn things about what it's like to be God and have to be excruciatingly patient with the world and with people. We learn more about who God is and what God's like when he makes us wait. Well, when we limp, we also are able to cling to Jesus because we have nothing else. There's a passage in John chapter 6, um, in verse 66, where Jesus says some really difficult things to the crowd. You know, people wanted to be with Jesus because he was like this miracle worker and he did all these great things. He made people feel good. He talked all about love. But then he said, hey, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to know God and be part of his kingdom, you have to give up everything and follow me. My authority becomes your authority. Whatever I say goes. That you can't follow me and say, yeah, I'm going to follow you when I agree with you. Like that, you're not following. Now Jesus is just following you, right? And so Jesus tells the crowd, man, you need to so identify with me that wherever I go, whatever I say, that is what you think and believe. And the crowds left. The crowds bolted. And so Jesus turns in John 6 to his disciples, the 12 that are there, and he goes, and I wonder if Jesus is having a moment, you know? What, are you guys going to go too? That's 
what he says. Are you leaving too? And I love what Peter says. Peter says, Lord, where else can we go? If we go, where, where else is there to go? You have the words of eternal life. You're the one who's come from God. You're the one who is bringing God's kingdom and you are the expression of God on earth. Where else can we go? Yeah, this is hard. There's all kinds of parts of us that are gonna have to get left behind, that are gonna get cut off, that are gonna get reshaped and reformed, but we're in because there's nowhere else to be. And so when you're limping, when you're struggling, when you're having a hard time, keep clinging to Jesus. Because what Jesus is doing is he's trying to help you realize that when you have nothing, he is everything. And just keep limping forward. I have a friend who, um, he called me a couple of weeks ago and he couldn't, like, he couldn't talk. Um, he was in the back of someone else's van and he could only express these like guttural noises. And I was trying to figure out what was happening and I couldn't understand him. He couldn't speak. He was having like a panic attack. And I had never, ever experienced anybody having a panic attack. Um, And he said something about coming to my house. And I said, yes, come to my house. And he came to to my house. Somebody else was driving him. He's in the back of this van. And he, he came in and like he needed to be helped in. I've never seen anybody having a panic attack before. Um, He was like, he was like, he had these like, he was doing like seizure kind of motions and he was completely incoherent. And I could see that he was struggling and trying to like talk, but couldn't. And he was just sort of like, he ended up curled up on a couch and I was just trying to talk to him. I was just trying to find out what was going on and what happened. And, um, and finally, I didn't know what else to do. I just put a blanket on him and, and he slept. And when he woke up, he was a little bit closer to being, he was, he, was, he was on his way back to coherence. And so we were able to sort of talk and um, he had this disconnect from reality where he didn't, he, he honestly didn't know what was real and what was not. And he was just completely overwhelmed and just spiraled down to the place where he was at. And so we talked, we prayed, we tried to make a plan. We got help. Um, and he ended up, I talked to him last week. It was a couple weeks later. I mean, I'd been talking to him, but, um, we had some meetings, but, you know, um, but when I was talking to him, he said last week, he said, um, I'm still not exactly sure why this is happening. You know, he said he had other instances where this happened and he said that, but he's like, I made it through and I didn't die. And so there's something like, 
I don't exactly know how to explain this, but there's something I feel because that happened and I'm still alive. And I was like, wait, wait, yes, yes, yes. Wait, wait, this is, this is fabulous. Like what you're describing is that this thing happened to you and it didn't kill you. What you're describing is that you went through this thing and you've come out the other side and you're still alive, you're breathing, you still love God. God has come and you've experienced his presence, right? And so I said, wait, so yes, like you have strength. And he goes, yeah, it's kind of like a strength. And I'm like, this is it. Like, <laughs> this is the point, <laughs> you know? You've, you now are strong enough to know that you can get through panic attack. And not just one, but several of them. That's significant. Like, that's a big deal. Um, and he goes, huh, yeah, I get it. And he goes, like, I, okay, yeah, so I made it through. I know God was with me. And I'm still, he didn't say this, but it's like he's still limping forward. And I thought, like, in some ways, this is what spiritual strength looks like. It's being able to limp through the things in life. It's being able to face the circumstances and to find out that when the flood hits, you still wake up the next morning and now you're in day two. And the circumstances haven't changed. It's still awful. It's still painful. It's still debilitating. It's still depressing. It's still all these things. And you carry that with you all day long, whatever you're doing and things you can't do, but you just carry it through. And then at the end of the day, you, you go to sleep and then you wake up the next day and now it's day three. And then day four and then day five. And some of these days are longer than others because the more the pain hits, the more the pain you feel, like the more the circumstances are just crushing you down, the slower those days go by. The good news is that the clock just keeps rolling, right? The, the sun is moving across the sky. It's going to go down. You're going to go to sleep, hopefully. But the sun's going to come up and it's the next day. And sometimes, like God literally just wants us to go through these things so that we have nothing else but him and we find that he's enough. And so what do we do with this story? Well, we just cling to Jesus and we try to commune with him. We tell him, Jesus, we are in this. And remember, limping can be anything for us that reminds us that we need God. So you can use anything in your life that reminds you that you need Jesus. So the temptations that you feel can be opportunities for communion. The struggles, the failures, the sins that you commit Maybe God is using those things to convince you that you need Jesus and you need to be clinging to him, right? Maybe you have personality quirks or physical ailments, like all these things are ways that we limp in life and they're all invitations for us to hold on to God and to beg him to bless us. So hold on, cling to your faith. 
Sometimes limping is like reaching out and begging God for an answer. So sometimes it's praying. Sometimes it's reading the Bible. Sometimes it's listening to people or reading books about the stuff you're going through so that you can bring Jesus into your life, right? And you're seeking God and you're seeking him. That's what clinging looks like. But then sometimes clinging to God or limping just looks like waking up and going through the day. Sometimes that's what God is asking you to do. Nothing more. Just trust me. We'll get through this together. It's facing the challenge, facing the frustration, and not giving up your faith in God. Where Jesus is still Lord, even if he's not giving you what you want. So when you're convinced that God either made you limp or God wants to use your limping, your weakness becomes something in which to commune with him. Second thing to apply this is to let others limp. Let others limp. You want in the things that you say and do to try to create space so that the people around you know that it's okay if they're limping. It's okay if they don't have their act together. It's okay if they're struggling with addictive behavior. It's okay, meaning that like you love them and you're with them. Meaning that they might not be doing life wrong if they're limping because maybe God is making them limp. And people need permission. In the same way that I'm trying to give you permission that if your life looks like this, you might not be doing it wrong. There's people in your life who need you to do this for them. To create space so that they can see that Jesus is with them in their limping. Because oftentimes those who believe and who understand and see Jesus can inspire those who don't. Someone in our church this week talked to me and was talking about 10 years of struggle and anguish and disappointment and frustration. And she said, but I'm still going. And she said, and I think that this is actually the fight. This is the fight. Like I've had grand plans and grandiose ideas of what I was going to do for God and what God was going to do with me. And now if I wake up and say, God, I still love you, even though my life is hell, it's victory. She said, this is the fight. I was like, man, you're preaching my message right back to me. (laughs) Um, So, Cling to Jesus, let others limp, and then third and finally, serve while you limp. Serve while you limp. The temptation that you're going to feel is, oh gosh, how could I possibly have anything to offer anybody else when my life looks like this? When I have nothing going for me except that I'm clinging to Jesus, God would say, you have everything. God is trying to fill the world with men and women and children who have nothing but are clinging to Jesus. If that's all that you have, then serve. Serve. Try to find ways to help other people. Serve here at church. Serve your friends. Serve your coworkers. You don't have to have your act together to have something to offer. Look for opportunities to tell someone else, I have nothing right now, but I'm clinging to Jesus.
because that's really encouraging to people. If you could tell people, yeah, God has put me in a place where I've had to let go of everything else except for him. Where I feel like I have nothing, but God is everything. That's a message that our culture needs to hear. It's a message our church needs to hear. It's a message I need to hear. And just as a, we were talking about this in staff, like this is a great way to serve. I mean, I'm just, um, there's people who serve communion with me every week. We want all of the members of our church to serve communion to the rest of the family. We want everyone to come and to have an opportunity um, to be able to offer people the body or the blood of Jesus. Because Jesus has brought all of us into his family. We want to be able to serve each other. And there are people who think, I am not worthy to stand up here. I'm not clean enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not whatever enough to be able to offer people the body and the blood of Jesus up front. And I just want you to know that that's not the gospel. Uh, The only reason I can do this every week is because of Jesus. And so this is one way that you can serve while you're limping. I mean, what better way, right? What better way? They say that the gospel is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. And that's who we are. Because if you are limping but trusting in Jesus, you can serve. You can serve our family. And frankly, you can serve God's world. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for stories like this. With fear and trembling, Jesus, I say thank you for making me limp. And I want to lead our church family to be able to pray the same thing. And so we, we thank you, Jesus, for making us limp. And we ask you for the grace and the strength to not run from our limping, but to cling to you in it. And to know that when we have nothing, that you are everything. Help us to cling to you and to make space for others in their limping to cling to you as well. And for those of us that are here and and haven't put our faith in you yet, Jesus, would you reach out and touch their hearts? Would you show them that they don't have to fix themselves before they come? That you'll take them as they are. Move them to confess their sins and devote themselves to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.